Hi guys, this is Melissa. And Romina. And today we're pretty excited because we have a different kind of episode lined up for you called Grad Students Answer. The idea for this episode goes back to the concept behind why we first put the podcast together. It's this idea that the IMS is a huge program, and as graduate students, it's really easy to get lost or feel isolated. And while it's awesome to hear from scientists in the program and their research, we thought it would be even better to get some insight from the graduate students themselves. On this episode of Raw Talk, we'll be featuring grad students from the IMS who are at various stages in their degrees and who have had diverse experiences that we think you guys are going to find really interesting. So for today's episode, graduate students talked and we listened. We want to start off by asking everyone what their most valuable lesson in grad school has been. My name is Casey Hemington. I'm in my fourth year of my PhD with the IMS. My supervisor is Dr. Karen Davis uh, over at Toronto Western Hospital, Crumble Research Institute. My project looks at brain imaging in people with chronic pain uh, to understand how the brain might be different or work different or perceive pain differently in those people. Um, We use brain imaging techniques like functional magnetic resonance imaging and magnetoencephalography. So I think the most valuable lesson I've learned is that The people that you choose to surround yourself with are really important in grad school. And I know this doesn't apply to every job situation. So there are certain situations in which people can separate, you know, their work life from their personal life or their home life. But in grad school, I think the goal is to be inspired enough and happy such that you're able to do your work because a lot of your work depends on your ability to think clearly and to to be inspired. So I think that going into it, I was lucky because in my lab and in my department, there's, I'm surrounded by a group of amazing people, but I didn't realize how much of an effect, a a great effect that that has had on my grad school experience until um, I was a couple years in. So one example I can give is when I came into uh, my current lab, there were two grad students who uh, were able to mentor me and help me, you know, figure out what my ideas were for for my PhD and for my project and, you know, kind of show me the ropes and teach me different, different skills. And I'm still great friends with them to this day. And I don't think that I would have had uh, the same experience had it not been for them. Hi everyone, my name is Fidel. I am a second year master's student. I am at Toronto Western Hospital and I am studying the effects of changing the expression of alpha-synuclein in a Parkinson's uh, mouse model. And my supervisor is Anurag Tandon. Yeah, I think the most valuable lesson that I've learned in graduate school, and as cliche as this sounds, is uh, to really go out there and meet new people. Um, I guess the word most people use is networking, but I don't necessarily mean networking to uh, find jobs or to find new experiences. I mean, just literally go out, meet new people, and learn about their experiences and learn about their stories. Um, I think my favorite thing so far has been meeting all the people that I have met before. I've been on IMSA for, for two years now. This is my second year. Um, in my first year, I didn't know anyone, so that's, that's my outlet. That's where I went and I met new people. And I met a lot of wonderful people, so I decided to uh, run for president this year. And that's, that's my role now. And just with all the people that I've met from, from the first years, from the people who came back from last year, and even new members who are upper years, I've, I've just gotten to know everyone so well. And it's been great to really listen to their stories. And, When you go out and you meet new people and you hear their stories, you really start to learn new perspectives and you really start to better yourself. And I think in terms of graduate school, where you don't necessarily have to be in the classroom the entire time, where you can really manage your time wisely and spend a little bit of time in the lab and then spend a lot more time out networking with people, you have this opportunity to really meet new people and just better yourself in that way. I guess in, when you're president, it's uh, people kind of look at you a little bit more differently. They're a little bit more political with you. So when I went from this first year, who was really trying to meet new people and just try to be friends with everyone, to 
just jumping into this presidential role and still trying to be that person who wants to be friends with everyone, but they're not treating you as a friend, but they're treating you more as this as this leader. It, it's a little funny in, in that sense because um, I've had to kind of uh, bounce back and forth between these two roles where I've wanted to be friends with these people, but I also have to make sure that they're doing their role and that everyone is being respectful of one another and that sort of thing. So it was, maybe it's not so much a funny story, but it's a very funny feeling. It's something that I never really expected to experience myself, so. I think, I guess the message is, and hopefully all the people on IMSA are listening to this, and hopefully all the future people who want to join IMSA are listening to this, that really if, um, don't, don't look at people who are in a leadership role as someone that you have to really look up to. Look at them as a peer and really be friends with them and go to them if you have any troubles. I mean, um, and I, I can say this about myself and the VPs, is we're, we're there not only to lead you in the right direction, but we're also there to help you through this experience. My name is Katie Dunlop. I am in my fourth year of my PhD at IMS. I'm affiliated with the Collaborative Program in Neuroscience, and I'm at the Kremble at uh, Toronto Western Hospital. My research focuses uh, primarily on resting state fMRI, and I use uh, this technique uh, essentially to study how and why people are getting better in psychiatric disorders. So I look at what about their brains or behavior is predicting response to this treatment, and furthermore, uh, what changes in their brain or behavior correlate with improvements. My supervisor is Jonathan Downer. I think one of the most valuable lessons that I learned was to really go for all of the opportunities available to me. Um, when I started grad school, I wasn't very confident in myself, and I didn't think, you know, I would go for that award because I didn't think I would get it. I wouldn't, you know, try for that publication because I didn't think it would be accepted in that kind of journal. And my PI and my committee members really pushed me to apply for things that I didn't think uh, I was essentially worthy of. And um, that's what led me to apply for the Vanier Scholarship a few years ago. I had very little time because I didn't think I was going to get it, and so they pushed me very last minute to complete the application and I ended up winning it. So, yeah, it was it was something that uh, I re really learned from that experience, and I learned that maybe, you know, I really should go for all the shots, even if I don't, you know, get all of them. I was transferring the year that I, I was applying, and I didn't, you know, have any master's funding, and uh, I was really nervous about applying. Having Even, you know, being a transfer, it's a little more difficult, um, as I was told, uh, to receive the funding, but my supervisor told me to do it. Committee members told me to do it. My boyfriend at the time told me to do it. So, <laughs> you know, you put the you put the uh, application together. Uh, and in a way, I think that sense of urgency almost helped me. I was much more, you know, aggressive in the way that I described myself. And it sounded, I guess, more confident. I was more able than I thought I was. And every time that self-doubt comes creeping back in, it's like, no, it's okay. People believe in you. You know, you can believe in yourself. It's, you're, you're worthy of believing in yourself in a way, or you, you're justified in thinking you can do something. Um, and sometimes that external validation can help. No, definitely. definitely. And I totally see that. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I don't need any validation from my PI. Like, I'm confident, blah, blah, blah. And then I go home and I'm like, <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah. It really helps <laughs> just like a little common here and there, mm -hmm. especially a big award like the Vanier. Yeah, I mean, I think I people th believe you can be a scientist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, but I still don't believe that. That's the, that's the funny thing. And like, another example of like that self doubt creeping in was like just a couple of weeks ago, I got a Nature med Medicine paper, and um, I was like, yeah, it was a joke, that, a fluke that they put me on the paper, right? Like this self self doubt is like a constant issue. Mm -hmm. So. Uh, yeah. Imposter syndrome is well. It's a huge problem in science, and I think it's a big problem with women in science. I think across the board, like talking to women uh, within my program or even at conferences, like the, the adversity that sometimes women put on themselves is, is daunting and, and un unjustified and unfair, so. Yeah, for sure. But I think, I think from what I've learned so far, you know, you are your own worst critic. You know, if you can't accept that you like, you have to first accept that you're no, you're not the best at anything. Mm -hmm. You know, you you have to realize that you know you may be better than some people at certain things, but you're not the best. No one's the, the best, right. unless maybe well, obviously there's one person, but whatever. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one person in science, in my yeah, opinion. you know what I mean. But like, there's always somebody. But there's who's... there's there's 
you have to be humbled by the fact that everyone is working towards the same thing and and if you don't have confidence in yourself then who who will exactly um, so yeah mm-hmm. nobody's looking out for you except for yourself right? and hopefully your supervisor and committee but <laughs> yeah but I, I think yeah it was it was a real learning experience because it was so different from undergrad right mm-hmm. so having from like lots of feedback you know tests quizzes all that kind of stuff to going to every six months Mm -hmm. you know was a bit of a you know a surprise and a bit of a shock for me and so getting that award really sort of put a bit of spring back in my step so to speak so are there any female PIs or uh, somebody on your committee maybe who like kind of inspires you to be like a badass female (laughs) scientist you know I don't know like there's always like we have that kind of you have your supervisor who's kind of a badass neurosurgeon right so there's mm. always some people who you're like yeah that's what I want to be like, like oh well at Toronto Western there are tons of of inspiring female PIs on my committee I have Karen Davis who, yeah, she's awesome. who's yeah who's awesome and very well respected in her field other idols are like Car- uh, Mary Pat McAndrews who attends imaging rounds at the hospital and she is like so smart oh my gosh it's amazing <laughs> and um you know People like Moji um, Hodai uh, in the neurosurgery lab. I took her neuroimaging course, the IMS imaging or neuroanatomy course, not neuroimaging course. Uh, yeah, she's a super badass. Like I remember once uh, in class, she was uh, on call and she got a beep on her pager and was like, "Excuse me, I have to go tell someone some very bad news. I'll be right back." I was oh. like, "Damn." <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, so there are a lot of of of, of women in in the field that I respect uh, that are close and mentors of mine. I would say that are uh, really inspiring. All right, so I'm Marmenia Meester. I'm a student at the Institute of Medical Science from the Netherlands. So I'm currently busy in my second year of PhD where I work for Princess Margaret Cancer Center on a project where I try to find out whether um, we can find oxygen-independent pathways of disulfide bond formation. So very basic research, and but all for the purpose of, of course, uh, healing cancer. <laughs> so besides working on my research, I'm also the marketing associate from um, the Life Science uh, Career Development Society and a member at large at IMSA, of course. And beside that, I'm also the founder of my own conference. So the most valuable lesson was actually um, <laughs> when I first finished my first graduate degree. So there was a master's at um, Maastricht University in the Netherlands. So throughout grad school, we mostly talked about obtaining any research position, continue on the academic career path. It was only on my graduation day that they invited a couple of um, former students to present what they're doing at that particular point. And we got introduced to quite a big group of um, young entrepreneurs, um, of which a couple were pretty successful. And that was quite a new intake because I would think that you need an extra or additional degree to do such a thing. But they just kind of gave me an eye-opener saying that a, a maybe any graduate degree can be val- very valuable to, um, to innovate. And that kind of got... Um, that kind, of, that kind of started growing in my head. So although I love research and, and I love academia, um, I still kind of wondered why the career orientation is so focused on academic research, whereas there are so many other possibilities around. And that's something that, um, that I really want to put out there. And um, actually, that's also the reason why now the founder of my own conference called Hit on Conference it's on the 22nd of February and we'll be talking all about what's possible with a biomedical or medical degree, a graduate degree in the entrepreneur and innovation world with an emphasis on um, healthcare technology. So we got some great CEOs from several startups from early stage to later stage to talk about their journey, how they did it, and there's a panel discussion and so much more too. Yeah, and to, to show that there, that there is a possibility for biomedical graduate students to enter the world of business. The thing is, um, although I'm very passionate to make uh, 
make people more aware about career possibilities. I consider myself a, a yeah true academic, I guess. So for me personally, I um, I love to stay in academia, but I am exploring possibilities um, outside of it because academic positions are scarce. So you still need to be aware of what you can do outside of the academic box. A couple of things that I've been doing is uh, doing some journalist work, organizing several events. Now I'm a marketing associate at the at LSCDS. So I'm basically helping to um, create awareness of the programs that they have and the events that they have. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing kind of all kinds of things to, to complement the transferable skills I already get through my research. Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Beatrice. I am starting now my third year of a PhD. I actually recently transferred and, uh, and I'm in the Timiansky lab at the Cranville. I am also enrolled in the cardiovascular collab- science collaborative program. I'm international. Uh, I'm Italian, as you can tell. Uh, and uh, for my project, uh, um, which I actually find very interesting, uh, I work on, uh, on stroke recovery, and I'm actually looking into promoting recovery and, I guess, regeneration uh, after stroke by manipulating a specific subunit of uh, the NMDA receptor. I, I have to say that during this time, so up to now in those three years, uh, I have changed a lot and I have developed specific, well, different aspect of my character that I didn't know I had. And most of all, uh, I would say that the main lesson that I've learned is to be perseverant. So to just keep on going even when there are difficulties, especially when there are difficulties. That, that's because up, up to this point, it has been really challenging. I actually don't expect to get any easier. Uh, I thought maybe after my transfer, but no, it doesn't seem that way. <laughs> and, um, and it has been really important to just keep on going every day, never give up, and keep on doing what I have to do, even and especially when things don't work. During my first year, n- nothing worked but really, really nothing. So to somebody that goes to work every day and works at least eight hours every day, I had no results. Or actually, I had negative results. Those I had tons, <laughs> but nobody were interested in those ones. So I have to say, poor Dr. Timiansky and my committee members, <laughs> they were really desperate with me because somehow whatever I touched, it just didn't work out. I don't know what was happening. So I, I, they, they encouraged me um, in different ways, but, but especially Dr. Timiansky helped me, helped me a lot. He, he really tried to make me stick to a plan. Uh, uh, we tried to change different things. Uh, and uh, well, I was always very, very organized. Uh, and so I could always keep up with everything and, and focus. And, uh, and eventually actually things work out really well. Actually way much better than I expected. Hi, my name is Swapna. I'm in year five of my program, which is the MD-PhD program. I've done two years of medicine. I'm in the third year of the grad studies portion. I just transferred from the master's to the PhD program in IMS, and I'm in the lab of Dr. Charles Tatter at the Toronto Western. My affiliations are with the Canadian Concussion Centre, and I'm working with the Ministry of Education in Ontario, as well as the Ontario Women's Hockey Association. My study is all about concussions and policy surrounding it. Okay, so I've had a bunch of really valuable experiences so far, and I'm sure I'll have lots more, but they've been inside and outside of the lab. And they all, I was thinking about this, they all really boiled down to it's, it's totally okay to step outside your comfort zone and to take a risk and to reach out to someone that you don't know but you think is doing something cool and you maybe you want to work with them or to sign up for something you've never done before. I've done this in the lab where you know I've heard of someone who's doing really great work and it's related to mine and I don't know if I should or can reach out to them but I you know, decide to take that risk and it turns into a really cool collaboration. Or outside of the lab where for example, you know, just in my life during grad school, I wanted to play hockey. I'm new to it. I'm new to ice hockey, and it was kind of intimidating to start, but deciding to take that risk was one of the best decisions because it's become part of my own study, part of my own work, and um, such a great way to relax and recharge. 
for grad school. Hi everyone, my name is Robert Sivitrez and I did my master's in IMS under the supervision of Dr. Kim Connolly. And essentially my research looked at the role of an integrin in cardiac development as well as cardiac disease. I'm currently in the first year of my MD-PhD program. I'm affiliated with the Institute of Biomaterials and Biomedical Engineering and I'm currently working with Dr. Melitza Radisic investigating ways of incorporating bioactive molecules into biomaterials to improve the ability of stem cells to repair the heart following myocardial infarction, or more commonly known as a heart attack. I was on a, a plane uh, with one of my close friends this summer going on a trip to, to Mexico, and he was reading this book called Start With Why, and it's by this author named Simone Sinek. And basically the entire premise behind the book is that great leaders start their day, ideas, career, etc. with the question why. And so the author argues that most of us start with the what and the how. For example, today I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to accomplish X, Y, and Z. But he argues that great leaders and great innovators start with why they're doing what they're doing and then proceed from there to determine how they're going to do it and what they're going to do. And so for me, if there's any lesson I can share with a fellow graduate student is to find your why and the rest will simply fall into place. So as an MD PhD student, my why for being in this program is one, I want to help improve patient outcomes so that individuals can live more fruitful lives. And two, research has the capacity to solve problems beyond the patient's bedside. And I want to learn the skills required to solve those problems. So every day I wake up and ask myself, why am I doing this long, ridiculously grueling eight-year program? And I remind myself of those two reasons. Then I think about the how and the what, getting my PhD and MD so that I can become a clinician scientist, so that I can live out my why and my passion. My why gets me through the ups and downs and the roller coaster ride that graduate school often is. So if I can leave you with anything useful, I'd say find your why and think very thoroughly about it. Because in those dark moments, when nothing seems to be working, when all your experiments are failing, when your supervisor comes to you and is asking, where's the data or why don't you have it on time? The why is what will get you through it. But if you don't have your why or it's superficial or not true to actually who you are, then those crappy moments will add up. And truthfully, there won't be anything enough to pull you out of that dark abyss and you will feel miserable. So the most valuable lesson I learned is to go and search deep and find your why and stick to it. And everything will be seamless from there. So we had a lot of really thoughtful and amazing answers uh, for our first question. Um, and we think that they really have boiled down to a couple of key points. Uh, we both really liked Robert's answer, starting with asking yourself why. Yeah, just like Robert mentioned, great leaders ask themselves why before asking how and what. And so if you have a solid answer to why are you doing such a thing, such as grad school or following a passion, then you don't really have to worry about answering how and what. The rest will just fall into place once you have a solid answer for why. And I think it, it's super important in grad school to do a lot of self-reflection um, and just be really honest with yourself about why you're there. Um, it's okay if you don't really know going into it, but uh, like grad school seems like this process of self-discovery. It's not just the pause button on life. Exactly. And I believe that, just like Beatrice mentioned, She's in her third year PhD right now, and still, when asked to describe like the most valuable lesson she learned, her response was that she is still learning, and she's still not sure as to what really the valuable lesson is, as she her character has still been developing throughout these years, and she's learning more and more about herself. And I think that's what grad school is, aside from doing research and doing all the academic stuff. It's really learning more about yourself and and what your passions are and what you're good at and what you're not and what you can work on, for example. For sure. And everyone's key points, I think both of us kind of identified with them in different ways. So even Fidel talking about getting out there and hearing other people's stories, um, it's not just about like networking and meeting people that'll help you later on in life or even with your experiments in the lab at that point. It's about hearing people's stories and kind of knowing that you're not alone. So the whole perseverance thing, like... For your entire year, you don't get any results. It's really nice to hear that other people have the same experiences as you. And like a lot of experiments don't work, especially with wet lab work. So um, having that support and hearing that other people are experiencing the similar things to you in slightly different ways, but still fundamentally the same is really reassuring. I agree. And especially if you're in a lab where you might not have other graduates, students in your lab, 
really stepping outside of your comfort zone for most people and just reaching out to other grad students and hearing their stories, it'll really make you feel that, you know, you're not alone in all of this and that the setbacks you're facing, it's not just you facing them. And I think sort of the last lesson that we kind of took from it was going with our Marmendia's advice that, you know, academia is not the be all and end all of grad school. There are tons of things that you can do with a health science grad degree. um, And it's really awesome to see that um, she's trying to take that and go into entrepreneurship and from grad school, there are so many different paths you can take. And I think it's really easy to think, oh, like, you know, my PI is in academia. This is the path that they took. Like, that's what I'm supposed to do. But there are so many different things that you can explore. Exactly. And just to give a shout out to Marmindia's conference that she's founded, it's called the HIT Conference, and it'll be uh, happening at the University of Toronto on February 22nd. So be on the lookout for that. We loved hearing about some of the lessons and stories that our guests had to share. So we asked them to reflect on any advice in particular they would give to their first year selves. I'm in a first year PhD, but if I would go back to sort of my master's and undergrad, I would certainly say like, just tell myself to keep at it and to not lose focus on the end goal. So particularly second year of undergrad was particularly miserable. I remember basically living in world arts, studying away. Uh, It felt painful and it definitely felt endless. So I definitely tell myself that there is a light at the end of the tunnel, no matter how long that tunnel may seem. But I think I would also tell myself to go out and enjoy and try things different more. And I think I tried to do that more with my master's and try to do different diverse circumstances. You know, it's easy to just be focused on studying or focused on the lab and think that that's the be all and end all. But it certainly isn't. There's so many things you can do in Toronto and there's so many diverse uh, experiences that you can be a part of. So I would just go back and say to myself to keep at that and keep looking for different experiences and not just focus on things like studying in, in the lab. During my master's, I think certainly something that kept me going was I volunteered uh, part of the St. Michael's Student Association and I was like the community outreach director. And for me, like the reason why I wanted to go into MD versus just doing the PhD route is I really like sort of the patient interactions. And so for me, like doing the community outreach and doing various things in the community was really helpful for having that sort of aspect of, you know, showing that what I'm doing is actually affecting a human. So that was really helpful. I think just keeping mind of what the impact of what you're doing is not just, again, in the lab, but also obviously trying to affect someone. I think a lot about, you know, giving advice to first years and general advice that I would give would be that the question, asking the right question is more important than having the right answer. And that's very sort of cliche, generic grad school advice. But for grad school specifically, I think I actually have a good question to ask. I don't have all the answers about grad school in terms of advice to to give a, a first year, but I have a good question. And that question is to always be asking who decided that or who decides and do you agree? And this is a question that I think if you can stick it in the back of your mind and and always bring it up, it'll really help. So. There's a lot of cases in which it would help. So for example, you with your supervisor, even before you come into grad school, when you're interviewing with your supervisor, you can be asking them what sort of decisions, who decides um, what happens with the student's project, what sort of decisions do you leave up to students. When you're in grad school with your supervisor, you can ask, you know, is this something that I decide? Uh, you know, what goes into this piece of writing, for example, or do you decide? Because often what you've done might not be bad. You might think it's it's not great, but actually it's just that, you know, that's not the way things work in your lab. In your lab, there might be different uh, procedures, and you just assume that that's the way things are done. But if you actually ask about it, you might find out that no one decided that that's, that that's the way it is. And so I think it's always always important to ask that. Another example is if you're writing... A scholarship application and your friends also writing a scholarship application you assume that you should write them similarly um, but if you're if you're gonna ask who actually decides who gets this scholarship that might be very different in, in both cases so for example your department might decide a couple applications to pass on to and that's gonna be your big audience that you're writing for and your friend their audience might be, you know, at a national level, even if you're if you're ultimately competing for similar scholarships. 
Another example is when you're reading papers, you'll read things that are sort of facts or assumptions about your field. And it's good to go back to those original papers and really learn about who those people were that came up with those ideas and why they decided that, you know, this evidence, that they came to this conclusion from this evidence. And so if you can go back and figure out why those people decided what they did and figure out if you can agree, then um, it'll really stick better with you and allow you to develop critical thinking skills and develop your own opinions. So I think it's a good question that applies across a lot of what happens in grad school because a lot of grad school is not structured the same way. It's different from different labs, different supervisors, different departments, uh, and different schools and different countries. So uh, I think that you need to quickly figure that out about each situa- situation that you're in, and that'll really, that'll really help. If I could tell myself, like when I was in high school, oh, you have no idea how many things I would say. In two years, I don't know what I've done. Definitely, one of the advice is to start working right away. Yeah. Uh, probably one thing that I was lucky is that I started in my lab a little bit before the actual start as a volunteer, because I'm coming from uh, from Europe. It was you know we had different timing of things, uh, or when I actually finished my master in Europe. So and and my deadlines are much earlier than Canadians. So I, I missed of course all of those. Yeah. About, that's a different story and and so I started a bit early and that those two months helped me a lot because I started to know exactly where things were in the lab following people get to know everybody and get to know where things are and and try different things start start learning protocols and that's very important because then when you start uh, you need to really start you know I know that the first six months seems slow um, but it shouldn't be I think I think uh, well it's very important also to take classes right away and to get rid of them not because they are not that as important but at the end of the day your project is the most important thing so that, that, that's all it counts so that that's one and the other things yes I would recommend to be organized from the beginning I mean the best if you can of course it's harder to organize an experiment from the beginning until the end uh, and there are always uh, unforeseen uh, things that happens halfway through that you need to be flexible and change. Um, nevertheless, I do recommend people to start right away, even if for some reason you can't, because I remember somebody telling me, oh, well, I need some approval for the patients, especially those who work on the clinic. I do recommend to use the time uh, to read uh, articles, the background, and write a review, because that's the best time. You're already reading, you already know what to do, you might as well write it down. Then it won't get published right away, but you have something down. You sound like you're really good at being organized. And <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> you should see my room. <laughs> no, no, no. No, but in the lab, it's, it's different. Like, there are people who are organized, like, in different aspects of their life, right? So do you have advice on how, like, maybe keeping papers organized or, like, high, making a hierarchy of things or things that people should, ways that people should go about designing experiments? I know that's kind of, like, a higher level question, but things that people can do to push forward, you know, when they feel like they don't really know which direction they're going in at some point. I see. So the reason why I I became organized, because I'm really not, mm-hmm. I force myself to be, is because uh, it reduces my anxiety. So I, of course, I'm all of us, we're really under stress and everybody deals with stress in a different way. Me, I became organized. <laughs> so that's... I know the so I always write down the main thing that I have to do and then I put it down I split it down in different mini tasks that I actually can do and I divide them in every day there are stuff more that I, that I prefer doing and so those stuff I'll do them last mm. so for example there are certain papers that I know I have to read but they are they're horrible paper you already see them from the title and you say oh those are going to be really really boring those are the first thing that I do very motivated when I wake up in the morning uh, you know I arrive in the lab I get the coffee and I do this because I really have to get it done I think I foremost would tell my first year self to realize that you're unique and I guess that that goes for a lot of students when I when I first started with my well even with my undergrad 
I was forcing myself to uh, use the very typical learning style, so the, the cramming and, and, re- and, and much reading of books, trying to do as much as assignments. Um, but I always found that I took so much longer to understand the material because I was using these typical learning styles. But actually along the way, I found out that every single person has different qualities and different types of learning styles. So what I would tell myself far most is to find out what works and, and, and to start using that and not try to limit yourself to that what, what's been told to you, what's the best way, because there is no one way. I actually love doodling, and it might sound a little bit strange when you're reading research articles, but um, I find that if I try to visualize what I'm reading, it, it makes it easier to memorize and to understand because you're actually seeing what you're reading instead of just seeing all of those words without any meaning um, at that point. So you could do that by basically redrawing a blot, but you could also start drawing out every single discovery that you see in the, in the results and try to basically get a whole diagram of how everything connects. And then you basically look back at the whole picture that you just drew of the research paper and you can see the entire context of it. And I find it very, very helpful. I think, and as, as simple as it sounds, it's so difficult in graduate school to time manage. And that is something that I would have told myself in first year. It's that, I mean, I came out of undergrad and I was great at managing my time, but grad school is a whole different ball game. And I would honestly say that time management is probably one skill that everyone has to, has to develop, especially if you're not spending all of your time in the lab. Uh, like myself, who was joining um, IMSA and as someone who actually went out to every single IMSA event last year. It's super important to, to manage your time in terms of doing your lab work and consistently reading papers because that is extremely important, not only for yourself to, to learn your own field because information is always coming out, but also to uh, prepare yourself for meetings, for committee meetings, especially for your defense, that sort of thing, for writing your thesis. So at least when the time comes for writing your thesis or the time comes for these meetings, you know where all the information is, you've, you've done the work, and you're an expert in your field. So I think, I think the most important thing that I would have told myself was to manage my time and to consistently be reading papers and consistently giving giving a certain amount of time for each activity every day rather than giving loads of time at one at one point to say lab work and then giving a little bit more time the next week to IMSA related activities. I would say balance that out, manage your time, otherwise it could come back and haunt you later on in the year. So that is definitely something I wish I was doing in my first year. Um, Definitely better at that now. And it wasn't even my first year, honestly. It was on, like more like the first six or seven months where I, where I was committing time to one activity more so than another in a week or a month. And then I realized about halfway through my first year that that needed to change. And that's when everything started to go uphill for me. First year me would really benefit from being told to ask more questions. This is totally my time and everyone's time to learn and grow. and to ask questions about, you know, what others are doing, to share what you're doing, to have that conversation flowing because you never know what can come out of a conversation. Uh, If you're asking and talking about experiences, about expectations, you get a better idea of what's expected of you, but also what you can do and what's possible in grad school. And through the last three years, I started to ask more and more questions, found really cool courses that I would not have found out about otherwise. And ended up in really, really neat collaborations with people that um, I would not have really connected with if I didn't start a conversation with somebody. To end off on a lighter note, let's see what our guest's favorite memories from grad school are. Some of my favorite memories have been uh, going to conferences. I had the opportunity to go to a brain stimulation conference two years ago, and that really allowed me to step out of my comfort zone, network with people outside of my academic community, and it you know, turned out a couple of publications, just collaborating with a couple of other people and, you know, doing some reviews um, together. And so 
going to conferences has always been a really positive memory for me. It's a really exciting exciting thing and of course publishing I know there's not there's nothing that beats that butterflies in your stomach feeling that you get when you you feel like you have something that's worth publishing and telling other people and I think that that feeling is worth pursuing I guess in academia something I'm very passionate about do you have any advice um, maybe sort of students who don't have that like first author peer-reviewed publication yet or or even People, any public or any yeah no review yes. nothing. So one thing I I like to think about is um, starting with a review. You're gonna have to do a literature review anyway as a part of your thesis. You might as well turn that into something that you can publish. That literature review is going to be exhaustive, so you might as well kill two birds with one stone, so to speak. Those birds being your thesis and a review article, which you can be first first author on. And in terms of um, when you go to conferences and how you mentioned you met people and collaborated with them, mm-hmm. did you instigate that yourself or was it through your PI? or? I feel like it's a lot. It's through the PI often, yeah. but also, you know, at poster sessions or oral sessions if you're presenting, um, just striking a conversation with somebody. And again, the, the confidence thing is, is a theme throughout my I feel like through my degree and so feeling okay enough to go and talk to someone even if it's someone that you've read their work and you find like they're you know you get intimidated a little you know they're always willing to work with with other people you shouldn't be ashamed even if it doesn't come cut like you know yeah. uh, output anything fruitful but you know if it's always worth trying I, like like I'm trying to say throughout this whole thing it's like you you miss all of the the, the sort of shots you yeah your shots you don't take exactly so I think that's a really important thing. It's taking risks, even if they don't pay off, uh, especially this young in your career, right? If you're thinking academia, you've got to put yourself out there. Definitely the, the coolest moment uh, was when I first started out, um, I had access to human left ventricular samples, and I was required to just analyze the levels of this particular protein that we thought was going to be upregulated in disease. We thought it has this role in sort of uh, fibrosis, which is like sort of scar tissue development in the heart. And so the first Western Bell, I just remember like in a dark developmental room and then taking out the film and then going and looking at the results and just being like so excited that the results actually fit with our hypothesis. So that was really cool. Um, in my PhD, my definite favorite moment uh, so far has been growing stem cells into cardiac cells and actually looking under the dish and seeing them beat. And it's just like probably the most fascinating things you can see. Um, certainly like you work so hard, like learning how to differentiate cells and like it's like a th- three week process and you're just waiting for them to grow. And it's so cool to actually see them actually like rhythmically beating on a dish. And I thought that was just like really amazing. And I just like would never imagine like, for example, in high school, thinking that one day I would like grow a stem cell into a heart cell and like actually see it on your dish. So I just think like, Right, it's like super cool and obviously regenerative medicine has so much potential now that mm-hmm. you never would have thought of before. I went to a conference in Berlin um, and I was talking to a couple of different stakeholders. One was a clinician and one was a parent of um, a child who had had a concussion. And we were talking about some of my work and I work on policy on concussion in Ontario and beyond. And, you know, we were talking about the work. I had um, presented some of the research that I'd done, and this is where I began to learn that, you know, even right now my work is having an impact because the policy that's in place and some of the, the preliminary work that we've um, published has made an impact for these these parents and the clinician, and they were so appreciative that someone was doing something about this issue, which was, you know, having a huge impact in their lives and the lives of their children. So seeing that our work was already having an impact and the impact that it could possibly have um, in the future also was really humbling and inspiring for me to continue down this path. The second one that I'll talk about, well, there's so many. So in one of my first or second year in grad school, so I'm on IMSA, which is the um, Institute of Medical Science Student Association, we had multiple projects and events where we would build the grad community, which I think is such an important thing for us to do, because sometimes grad school can be isolating. Um, and one of the things we did was a project for CAMH for their Darkness to Light event. And it was really great because what we did was spend the entire night dancing across downtown Toronto 
ending up at uh, Queen's Key at the sunrise and participating in the event that way, but also building a bond between grad students through the night and um, carrying that forward through the years to follow. And that was such a transformative experience because we were doing something for this cause that all of us believed in so strongly together and creating that bond that lasts to now and to many years from now. So that was a great experience. So far, the entire experience that I'm having um, here at U of T and with IMS, um, I guess specifically, is that I'm just having a really great time with everything. I feel that my peers, but also my professors and faculty are very much connected with each other. And I'm enjoying that all the way. And I'm enjoying a lot of passionate people, which is, um, which is just great. It's very motivating. So it's, it's hard to really say, like, this particular moment is the thing. But for me, I guess that that moment is the moment that I set foot on Canadian ground to <laughs> pursue my PhD studies. That's awesome. Yeah. So you, like, turn us up fire. Yes, I, I do. I'm, uh, I'm very much in love. But actually, um, <laughs> one of my friends um, found it funny that when I, uh, when I traveled back to Toronto after the holidays, um, I put a message on Facebook saying... I, um, that I'm happy that I'm going back home. And my friend said, that's so funny that you now consider Toronto your home, but um, it's really become that way. Most of my favorite memories have been celebrations with people, so graduation celebrations in particular. A number of my friends have graduated, and it's always been this really happy time to celebrate their accomplishments. And, and one sort of celebration stands out in particular in my mind, and that's when... Uh, a friend of mine in my lab graduated about two years ago, and my supervisor, she's amazing, she always has this party for graduating PhD students at her house. I got to meet all of my friend's family and all of the senior scientists that had worked with her throughout her PhD were there, and all of her committee members were there, and all of us as her, her friends and, and lab mates. And it was just a really happy moment and people gave speeches that really articulated, you know, the impact that her PhD had, because often I think it's easy to lose sight of why you're doing what you're doing. And this really kind of brought everything together and made me realize the impact that her work had had and, and how appreciative everybody was. And it also really made me reflect on, you know, what it would mean to get to this point, it gave me something to aspire to and a goal, a goal to aspire to. In my first year, I ran for, and I really want to say, eight positions, um, give or take a few. And that was, that was a lot of fun for me. It was, I'd never actually um, engaged in, in the political, in the student political field or anything before. I'd never done this. But the one thing that I did like was when at orientation, the um, IMSA showed the video of, of them dancing on, uh, on the streets of Toronto during One Brave Night, and I thought, this is a group that I really want to be a part of. This is a group that has fun, they get stuff done, that sort of thing. So I was under the impression that the best thing for me to do was to, to have a position on the council in order to, to really be productive with this group and, and, and to have fun with them. So I ran for as many positions as I thought I could. So I ran for, for eight positions, and then one after the other, I, re I started to lose each of the elections. And I mean, I wasn't, I'm, wasn't totally down about that. And I did end up having a position with, as a GSU representative. And I, I thought, looking back on it now, it was a lot of fun. That itself actually had a lot of people come up and introduce themselves to me and say, hey, that was really funny, the elections were great. It was it was a great time, yeah. Yeah, I, I just brought it up because I think it's like a remarkable resilience. It was, your oh, it was, it going was going from that many <laughs> failures, so to say, in in just like oh, they were failures, definitely. And, <laughs> and to like to go and step up and become the president of the council and not yeah. give up and not be discouraged, for example. I think that's a it's really. I mean, remarkable. I th I think it was uh, I think it was said in that first elect in those first eight elections, I should say that I don't think it really mattered to me what position I held, and I never really had the intention to run for president at first. Um, it was, I just really wanted to be part of this group, and I just, I, I applied for the positions I thought I'd be, I'd be good at, and that I could be reliable at, and that sort of thing. And I mean, 
it turned out that IMSA wasn't a group that really excludes people anyway if you don't have a position. I mean, we have multiple members at large. We have people who come and go. But the, the thing that I really liked about my first year was that my responsibilities weren't too great. So I did, I was able to go out to every event. I was able to have a foot in every single subcommittee. And that itself um, allowed me to meet new people, allowed me to make lots of friends. And I think that is what allowed me to, to become president, not because I, I was more qualified than the other people who ran. I mean, the other people who ran were very, very qualified, but I had just experienced so much and I met so many people that the, the election just was very easy for me. I could just speak from the heart. I could say what I wanted IMSA to be because I had experienced IMSA and it just worked out. Melissa and I both laughed while we were chatting with our guests because we both identified with everyone's answers for this question in a way. Yeah, so it was pretty cool to see that even though everyone's memories were so different, they all really fell into two categories, professional successes and personal milestones, which I think that we can all relate to. Yeah, my favorite memory aligns with Robert's. Seeing that your efforts finally come together in a successful experiment is really important, especially because it makes you feel that you're not this madman or woman, and what your initial gut feelings are about a certain experiment or result um, actually translates into a hypothesis, which may be true. Mm -hmm. Also, another form of professional success that was mentioned was getting recognition from your supervisor or mentor that you're actually doing a good job. Right. That's really important because when you start a graduate degree, you really don't have a gold standard approach on how to do things right. And there's a lot of uncertainty. So having that validation from your supervisor or someone you look up to, like a mentor, is really important in helping you feel that your end goal is feasible and you're on the right path to achieving that end goal. And then there's that other end of the spectrum of personal milestones. So you have sort of your friends from outside of grad school and then your friends in your program, but it's also incredibly important to have a support system and a positive work environment. Yeah, that sense of community and support is especially important for international students. Shout out to Mermindia, who feels that Toronto is her home. So there you have it, everyone. We want to ask you guys to also give us a shout out on our Facebook page, Twitter, or Instagram at Raw Talk Podcast. What did you think about today's episode, and what are some of the answers you and your grad school friends might have to these questions? Also, the next time you shop on Amazon, use the quick-through link on our website, www.rawtalkpodcast.com, to support the show. This has been Melissa. And Romina. Thank you guys for listening. Until next time, keep keep it it raw. Raw Talk is a student presentation of the Institute of Medical Science at the University of Toronto. The opinions expressed on the show are not necessarily those of the IMS, the Faculty of Medicine, or the University. To learn more about the show, visit our website at rawtalkpodcast.com and be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at rawtalkpodcast. Also, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and rate us five stars. Until next time, keep it raw. If I could tell myself, like when I was in high school, oh, you have no idea how many things I would say.